Well, boys and girls, it's your turn to come forward at this time. Here comes the future generation of our church. <laughs> Family, and I'm thankful for God's blessings uh, on our lives each and every day. His mercies are new every morning. And this morning we wake up and we're reminded of that. The rain's outside, the spring is here, his promises are sure. That springtime and harvest keep coming around every year, no matter how much doom and gloom we want to share or, or how, how pessimistic we want to be sometimes. God's promises are something that we can count on year in, year out. And this morning is another reminder of that, that God is faithful. Let's take a moment to turn our hearts again to him in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father God, our, our hearts are full of thanksgiving this morning that even though to some seeing cloudy, cloudy skies and rain might bring on a feeling of gloom, Lord, to us it brings on a feeling of, of rejoicing, of joyfulness, because you are bringing showers of refreshing. And so, Lord, even as you are refreshing the ground today, we pray that by your word and by your spirit you would refresh our souls here this morning. We pray, Lord, that we could meet with you in a real and personal way, and that, Lord Jesus, by reading about your life and how you acted and how you behaved and how you challenged us, Lord, that we would leave here challenged today, what it means to walk with you in a personal way. And so I pray, Lord, that you would bless this message, that you would give me, Lord, the boldness and, and the clear voice, Lord, to speak your word as you would have me. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. The mountain path was well-worn and familiar. Like an old friend, it carried the men who slowly and deliberately measured each step on the way to their destination, the synagogue. James paused for a moment to take a look back down the path he had just traversed to survey the peaceful scene unfolding on the mountainside below him. Even though he had lived there and run those same pathways with his brothers ever since he was a little boy, days like this still stirred within him a deep appreciation for the beauty of creation. The morning sun was shining brightly, the birds were singing in the trees, and here below him was a peaceful scene of the village. Somewhere up the hillside, a donkey braid catching his attention. He looked back down towards the village to see it sleeping peacefully. The hustle and bustle that a perfect day like this would normally have brought was noticeable only by its absence. Even the children were remarkably quiet, with only the occasional baby crying to remind passerbys that domestic life was still carrying on within the humble stone houses that lined the streets of the village. James closed his eyes in a silent prayer of praise to the Creator. What an absolutely perfect day for the Sabbath, the day of rest. And to make a good day even better, his oldest brother was back home and was going to be speaking in the synagogue that morning. The whole village was buzzing with excitement about his return. Strange and outlandish rumors had been circulating about him. One merchant caravan that had passed through town had reported that people were flocking to hear his powerful preaching. Another pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem shared an even more fantastic tale, that he'd been healing people at Capernaum. But James didn't put too much stock into the gossip. Sure, his older brother had always been just a little odd. Not odd in a bad way, just different. 
But weren't all brothers different anyways? Now, to be sure, no one would argue that his brother was one of the finest carpenters in the region. Or that if you needed help, he wouldn't give you the shirt off his back, something he had actually done on one occasion. But being a genuinely good guy didn't suddenly make him some sort of a prophet. No, he knew his brother better than anyone, and was sure that once he talked to him, he would be able to put all this nonsense about him being some sort of a powerful, miracle-working rabbi to rest once and for all. James arrived at the synagogue to discover that it was already much more full than usual for this early hour. Glancing quickly along the tiered stone steps that flanked each wall, he spotted the reason why. There, surrounded on either side by the local rabbis, sat his older brother. Their eyes met, and for a moment, James felt this wild impulse of excitement to just run over and give his brother a hug, as if they were still kids. But instead, he gave a formal nod, to which his brother instantly gave a warm smile in reply. The look in his eyes seemed to share James's impulse that perhaps in a different setting, he would have wrapped his strong arms around his little brother in a bear hug like he had done many times before. But they weren't kids anymore. And clearly, much had changed. James took a seat and very quickly the synagogue was full. People were standing in the doorways, crowding around. The service began and the local rabbis took turns at the center of the room to recite prayers, sing blessings and read the scriptures. Then came the customary time for the guest rabbis to speak, and all eyes swung to where he was sitting. Without hesitation, Jesus stood and stepped forward to the center of the room. An attendant handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and Jesus began to unroll the lengthy parchment. Then he began to read, his voice rolling out strong and clear. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. A thrill shot through James's body, and he could almost sense it pass through everyone in the room. Jesus continued, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, just like that, he was finished. He rolled up the scroll handed it to the attendant, and sat back down. The effect couldn't have been more profound. It was as though all of the air had been sucked out of the room, leaving everyone speechless. From the very first word that Jesus had spoken, James sensed something was different about his brother. He had never seen him so confident and speak with such authority. None of them had. This was a side of him they had never before seen. Sensing the effect that his words had had upon the room, Jesus let them hang in the air for a long moment. Then he finally spoke again. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And with that, the entire room gasped and broke out into a rumble of hushed conversations. Incredible! Could he be the Messiah? He's a healer! My son needs healing! Amazing, he speaks so well. Did he say he's going to bring us freedom? Well, look out, Romans, here we come. Good news is long overdue. But, but how can this all be? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't this Joseph's boy? 
Wasn't he just a carpenter here in town a few short months ago? Suddenly, an elbow jabbed James's, James's side, followed by a whisper in his ear. Hey, isn't he your brother? James was too caught up in his own thoughts to reply. Yes, he looked exactly like his older brother, but he was certainly not the same brother who had left town just a few months earlier. It was as though Jesus had undergone some sort of powerful transformation. James couldn't wait to get home to tell his mother and the rest of the family. Perhaps Jesus' newfound fame would have some benefits for the rest of them. But then Jesus spoke again. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Instantly, the room was filled with a deathly silence. In a split second, the jovial festive atmosphere reversed itself entirely. James couldn't believe it. What was Jesus doing? Why was he insulting his hometown? Why was he burning up all of the goodwill in the room? James silently pleaded with him, Quick, turn this thing around. Tell them no prophet is accepted in his hometown except in Nazareth. Yeah, that'll turn things around. That'll get things back in the right direction. But instead, things just kept getting worse. Instead of lightening the mood, Jesus continued to pile on. He pointed out that in the time of the prophet Elijah, because the Jews had rejected God, instead of sending Elijah to help the starving people of Israel, God had sent him to a Gentile widow. He went on to say how when the prophet Elisha could have been healing those with leprosy in Israel, he had instead healed one of their sworn enemies, army generals. And by the time Jesus finished speaking, the room had turned from deathly silence into murderous outrage. How dare this insolent carpenter return home claim to be the Messiah, and then proceed to insult the entire town to their face? How dare he say that God favored a Gentile woman, an Assyrian leper, more than them, God's chosen people? Who did he think he was to heap shame upon their heads and that of his own family? He had to be stopped. He had to be silenced. And like the sound of a thunderclap, bedlam ensued. Everyone is on their feet shouting and yelling. Some of the men seated around him grabbed Jesus roughly by the arms and started dragging and shoving him towards the door. Others hurled insults, uttered threats. And the peace and tranquility of the Sabbath was shattered and transformed into an angry mob thirsty for vengeance. They would teach this insolent boy a lesson he would never forget. James sat there, frozen in place. He simply couldn't believe what was happening. He hadn't been quite sure what to expect with his brother returning home, but he certainly hadn't expected this. What was his brother thinking? What had possessed him to say those things? He had grown up in this town. He knew these people. Why was he turning them against him? Most strange of all was the look on Jesus' face. He wasn't surprised. He didn't even look worried. Even while they were dragging him to the door, he looked perfectly calm, almost as though he was expecting it to happen, 
and he was the one in control. James was snapped out of his trance by a loud voice ringing out clearly above the bedlam. Throw him off the cliff! No one knew for sure who it had been that shouted it first. No one ever admitted to it later. But the cry was immediately echoed by others. Off the cliff! Off the cliff! James sprang to his feet and followed in behind the mob spilling out the synagogue doorway. Beat him up? Okay. Throw him out of town? Sure. But kill him? Things were getting way out of hand. He had to put a stop to this madness. He just needed to talk some sense into his brother, get him to apologize, get him to say that he'd made a terrible mistake. But try as he might, James couldn't force his way to the front of the crowd. The angry mob was on a mission now, dragging and pushing Jesus toward the edge of the cliff on which Nazareth was built. They arrived at the edge. Jesus was shoved violently to the ground. A semicircle of angry men formed around him. There was no escape now. It was either through the mob or over the cliff to a certain death on the jagged rocks below. Forcing his way further into the crowd, James finally got a clear look at his brother. Slowly and deliberately, Jesus rose to his feet and turned to face the angry mob. His face was calm, but his eyes flashed with authority. The sort of look that a teacher fixes on an unruly student to silence them without a word. The effect was the same, and instantly the mob fell silent. One by one, Jesus looked these men in the eyes, but no one could hold his gaze. One by one, they lowered their eyes and looked away. Without uttering a single word, Jesus walked straight towards the middle of the mob, and like Moses parting the waters of the Red Sea, the crowd parted in front of him, and he walked through untouched. Not one man stood in his way. James watched with mouth agape as Jesus walked by. There was so much he wanted to say, so many questions he wanted to ask, but he couldn't utter a single word. But then as Jesus passed by, he paused, looked at James, and smiled. The exact same smile that he had seen a thousand times before, just as though nothing had happened and that everything was going to be okay. And then without uttering another word, Jesus turned and with the steady, deliberate pace of a Jewish man walking on the Sabbath, he walked out of town. Just who was this brother of his? James thought he knew him better than anyone. After all, he'd grown up with him. He'd played with him, worked with him, and talked with him almost every single day. But then it dawned on him. Maybe he didn't really know Jesus at all. Today I want to have you consider this thought. Knowing things about Jesus and knowing Jesus personally as the Messiah, as your Savior and your Lord, are two very different things. You see, the people of Nazareth, they thought they knew Jesus pretty well. Hadn't they seen him run around as a little boy? Hadn't they seen him grow up before their very eyes? Hadn't they come into his his shop to do business, to buy tables and furniture? Didn't they know him better than anyone? On top of that, you would think that James, being a half-brother to Jesus, would have known him better than anyone else. Yet when push came to shove, 
James had to entirely reevaluate the Jesus he thought he knew as the older brother and carpenter who ran the family business. With the new Jesus that he was confronted with, the real Jesus, as this powerful, controversial, miracle-working rabbi who happened to claim to be the Messiah and the Son of God. And we know from the Gospels as they unfold that there come later points in Jesus' ministry where his mother Mary and it says his brothers came to where he was ministering and they tried to compel him to come home. They didn't believe in what he was doing. They thought he was doing too much harm to himself. He was wearing himself out. They were going to force him to come home. And Jesus said to the crowd, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Who who does the will of my father? That is my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. Jesus was changing the standard for family. And that even though his family grew up with him and knew, thought they knew who he was, they were confronted by a new claim that he was not a son or a brother. He was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that they too would have to come to a point of personally accepting him, not as just a family member, but as their personal Savior and as their Lord. And so you see, when push came to shove, James had to entirely reevaluate the Jesus he thought he knew with the real Jesus. And so let me ask you, who is Jesus to you? Is he someone that you know things about? Or do you know him personally? Now, let me give you an example. I know a whole lot about Jose Batista. For those of you who aren't familiar with that name, he is a star outfielder for the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I know that Jose Batista was born in the Dominican Republic in 1980. I know that he was the Major League Baseball home run champ from 2010 to 2011. I know that he makes approximately $14 million a year playing baseball. Tough life. I have even met him personally, and I have an autographed baseball and picture with him to prove it. But now, if I were to show up at his mansion this Christmas, and I were to say to him, Hey, Jose, it's your old friend Danny. Can I come in? Do you think Jose would let me in? Do you think Jose would even remember me? I'm pretty sure he might say something like, No way, Jose. Well, not quite, but... There's not a chance that I'd be getting in. There's not a chance that he'd remember me. Even if I pulled out the picture of me and him from the autograph session, I showed him the baseball, he'd say, so what? I've met thousands of people like you. There's fans mobbing me for autographs every day. I don't know you. You may know a lot about me, but that doesn't mean you're coming into my house. It's the same with us and Jesus. Many people have some vague picture of him in their minds from a children's storybook. They have this picture of this kind man with a beard and white robes. Others can rattle off the facts of Jesus' life like they were contestants in a trivia game. There are even people who can say, I have been serving his church for years and doing great things for him in the world. And I would suspect that most, if not all, of these people would confidently say, Yes, I know Jesus. But knowing things about Jesus, going to church, or even serving him, are not the same thing as being in a personal relationship with him. 
Jesus even said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And when they go on to list all of the things that they have done for him, his reply will be, I never knew you. Depart from me. If you look at the title for the sermon, I've written in there, Know Jesus. And you'll notice that there's brackets around the two letters in the middle, N-O. You see, there is such a fine line between the two. Knowing Jesus, K-N-O-W, and know Jesus, N-O. They come from the same word, and the line is so, so subtle for those who are deceived to think that knowing things about Jesus is the same as knowing him personally. You see, every last one of us needs to have a moment in our lives where we meet Jesus in a personal way where we invite him into the inner room of our hearts and our minds and begin a lifelong journey, a relationship with him in which we willingly submit to his direction and his leading for our lives. Because you see, we have to come to Jesus on his terms, not our own. You see, the villagers of Nazareth, when they heard that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah at first, noticed they were excited, they were enthused, they wanted to have the hometown boy be the Messiah, but they wanted him on their terms. As soon as he confronted them on false beliefs, on their pride, how did they react? With hostility and even with murderous intent. You see, We have to accept Jesus on his terms, not our own. When Jesus invites us into a personal relationship with him, the invitation is wide open. He says, whosoever may can come. But there are conditions. He says, come to me, come to me, take my yoke upon you. What does that mean? It means his authority is upon us. That means the old way of life has to be left behind. We can't enter into a relationship with Christ and say, I'm going to keep my sin, I'm going to keep my old way of life and walk in this relationship with Christ. That's not the way this works. He says, take my yoke, take my authority upon you, and I will give you rest for your soul. We have to come to him on his terms. And now we come back to James, the half-brother of Jesus. He had a lot of thinking to do. He had to reevaluate absolutely everything that he thought he knew about his big brother. And I can only imagine the inner turmoil that must have been for him over those years. Hearing Jesus teaching, hearing about his ministry from others. And in the end, we know that James came to believe that Jesus was much more than just his brother. Church history tells us that James, Jesus' brother, went on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And we know that he came to believe And in the book that bears his name, which most scholars believe he is the author of, the book of James, I want you to listen to the way James introduces himself to his readers in chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know a thing or two about having brothers. I've got three of them. And so the thought of introducing myself as a servant of Jamie Greening, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. It doesn't quite sit very well. But this is exactly what James is doing here. 
he is humbly introducing himself, not as a brother of Jesus, but instead as his servant. He identifies his brother as his Lord Jesus Christ, saying he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, he is the Son of God, he is my Savior, he is my Lord. Wow. Somewhere along the way, James came to that moment of realization that the carpenter brother that he thought he knew better than anyone, in actual fact, he didn't know at all, and he became completely and utterly convinced that his big brother was none other than the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world, and the Son of God. And so James humbled himself to take on Jesus' yoke. He came to Jesus on his terms and entered into a new relationship with Jesus as his personal Savior and Lord. My friends, this is where every last one of us needs to begin as well. Whether we have grown up in the church and know all the stories, or whether we're hearing about this for the very first time, we have to humble ourselves, we have to receive Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. But then once we have begun that relationship with Jesus, we can't just leave it at that. That would be like saying your wedding vows and then leaving your new spouse at the altar. It doesn't work that way. When we begin this relationship, we must continue to grow in our relationship to Jesus. The Apostle Paul was someone who had met Jesus personally on the road to Damascus. And he went on, we know, to turn the world upside down for Christ. But even he expressed a desire to know Jesus more. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11, he expresses this deep longing to know him. Listen to what he writes. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. And then verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Here is a man who is, by all accounts, on fire for Christ, and yet he still expresses a desire to know Christ even more. My friends, is that your desire today? Is that your desire, to know him more than you know him right now? To know him more intimately, to know his power more deeply, to feel his transformation in your life so vibrantly that you can't help but live your life fully on fire for him? Is that your desire? I hope and pray that it is. Because I can guarantee you this, that is Jesus' desire for you. Jesus' desire for you is to walk closely with him more intimately, with more passion every single day of your life. The simple fact is he loves you and enjoys your company. He loves you. He made you uniquely with gifts and abilities to serve him, to walk with him, and he wants to develop those within you. He wants to fire up your passion to serve him. But we've got to enter into this relationship each and every day. So let's humble ourselves today. Let's admit that maybe we don't know Jesus quite as well as we think we do. Let's invite him to reveal himself to each of us in a new way. And let's take a moment now to invite him to fill us and empower us to serve and love him more fully. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you 
And we recognize today that you're not what people expected. You're certainly not what your hometown folks expected. When you went home to Nazareth, they had certain expectations of what the Messiah would be and do. And Lord, you exposed those wrong ideas they had. You exposed them and their anger rose to the surface. Their pride and their bitterness. And they turned against you in violence. They resisted you. And God, sometimes in our pride, that's what happens to us when you expose the ideas and thoughts within us that aren't right. When you expose things in our hearts, in our actions, and in our behaviors that are opposed to you, that are still mired in the old flesh of our sin, when they're exposed by your spirit, sometimes we have that same reaction. We don't like it, and so we react with violence. Of course, not physically against you, but in our spirits, we resist. And so, God, as we come up against those barriers within us, I pray by the power of your spirit, even now you would expose them. And break them down. That Lord Jesus, whatever barriers would hold us back from walking and living each moment of our lives intimately in step and in tune with you, break them down. Oh God, would you give within us a greater passion and a fire to know you more fully, even as Paul did. That we could experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead in our own lives and spirits. That as we leave here today, we could feel the Holy Spirit that, that still small whisper empowering us from within to live lives that are fully in tune with you for your will and for your glory's sake. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would have your way in each one of us today. May we leave here walking with you more closely than when we enter today. We pray it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.